Okay, welcome Think Truth listeners. This is Drew and Elijah. All right, well, we had an interesting podcast last week about worldliness and what that means from Scripture and how, in some ways, we've we've uh, twisted that concept to mean something far too narrow and something that um, that and and missing large categories of what it means to be worldly because we've misinterpreted verses like First John two fifteen and others. So, just as a quick recap. Um, those verses about don't love the world or the things in it are referring to the world as the system of, of thought that unbelievers uh, share across the world of looking at pleasure wrong, looking at self wrong, and looking at possessions in a wrong way. You think lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Um, and those false ways of looking at life then do affect practical ways of living, but we jump we jump uh, so quickly from don't love the world into this like um, don't look like the people around you too much who are not Anabaptists because then you'll be worldly. And that's really uh, not what this verse is talking about. So back here on the podcast to talk more about worldliness. And we want to talk more about some, some of the other verses in Scripture where it's talking about the world and maybe put a little bit more definition to that. Okay, so let's start off with 1 John 4, 3-5. to Maybe you can read that, Drew. Sure. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So interestingly, from the world, he's referring to, uh, in this case, people who profess to be Christians and are teaching a false gospel. They're false prophets. Um, it's interesting he refers to to them as false spirits. Uh, it's, it's clear that he is talking about people who are under mm-hmm. the influence of these false teachings and are teaching something, a false story about Jesus, really. I think that's fascinating because that's a category of worldliness that we don't usually associate with mm. with worldliness. Yeah. Interesting. So in, if you take the definition given in this verse, which obviously is not a full definition, but it's part of it, um, giving a false message of who Jesus is and, and, and what that means for us, that, and especially we're talking about, in this case, actually heretical doctrines. Right. Um, claiming that Jesus was not actually in the flesh and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He did not actually come as a human. So teaching a false story about Jesus is part of what it means to be worldly. James 4.4 4 is another interesting one. Let's take a look at that. Um, that's where James says, you adulterers and adulteresses, um, don't you know that to be friends with the world is to be enemies of God? Do you have that in front of you, Drew? I do, yes. Yeah. Um, maybe you can read the rest of that. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, who, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And it's interesting that the surrounding context is talking about pride, um, saying like, that's where it says you, you, you ask but you don't receive because you actually are wanting to get something that will help you in your lusts. Further back in the context, we, we learn that those lusts, those desires... Um, 
are causing them to to war and fight um and it's those lusts are the, the lust for power within the church mm. um wanting to be sort of the top dog at church and uh wanting to have the most the most uh, esteem and respect and those sorts of things look back into chapter three and in first part of chapter four those things are evident so we're talking about pride we're talking about strife and that's actually the context of worldliness. This verse, I'm sure, Drew, you're also familiar with how this is used often, where um, this verse is taken out of context again and said um, to to look like the world or to want to you know look like your your neighbors or whatever is to be friends with the world and therefore you're acting like a like a prostitute, uh, you know, adulterers and adulteresses. You're acting like somebody who doesn't really love God. And while, while in some cases, again, as we've been saying, it, it, it is certainly true that, that dress can fall into worldliness, like ways of, ways of dress, but this is not at all the point of the passage. Right. The point of the passage here in context is don't be like the worldly ways of trying to gain power and of fighting within the church to try to gain um, something for yourself. Mm. Well, I think that's... Again, where we, I think there's a legitimate fear in, in our churches that we can just um, allegorize everything away and just basically say, well, don't be like the world in some kind of a abstract way, and now we don't have the, the practical application. But no, the practical application is here. Yeah. It just, in many cases, is over things that we, we've been missing. Um, in fact, I think some of this here in, in James, you know, covet and cannot obtain, fight and quarrel. Um, I wish we could say we were immune from that kind of behavior in our churches, but it, I, unfortunately, I don't think we are. No. And I think yeah. it's, yeah, it's a, it's a needed wake-up call for us. Yeah. So those are, there are certainly more verses, but those are some of the interesting ones in the New Testament talking about the world. Another interesting study, perhaps, for when we have time, or at least you and your own study, is a study on the idea of Babylon in Scripture. Mm -hmm. um, Tower of Babel in the beginning, and then the, and the Tower of Babel being something significant because it was people saying, we want to set ourselves up as, as gods over the earth in kind of a new fall sort of way. Um, like in the same way that at the fall, Adam and Eve said, you know, mm -hmm. we want to set ourselves up as the ones to decide right and wrong. So, and then, so that, that's Babel or Babylon. And then in scripture, you see again and again, this, this concept being brought up as Babylon is the enemy of God. And one day Babylon will be destroyed and God's kingdom will rule instead. And then revelation is like the climax mm -hmm. where Babylon is set up as the, um, what is it there? Babylon would be a beast, right? And then so. there's like this, this adulterous woman mm -hmm. is hanging out on top of the beast and, um, they're together. They are like, like making the church, um, impure in that sense, like moving it away from really faith in Christ and true, pure living and moving it away to, you know, the way the, the way the world thinks right. and stuff. And I think that's very important in scripture is Babylon, the system of the world, um, is something that's all pervasive and it's something that is a way of looking at life which puts pride first, which puts self first, and ends up creating 
uh, so many of the evils that are around us. Mm-hmm. And so to avoid the world um, is to avoid sin. And to avoid sin is to avoid the world. Like that, It is the same thing. So let me, uh-huh. let me pose this to you, Drew, and I'm curious what you think about mm-hmm. this. Would it be fair to say that worldliness is, is another way of saying um, choose God's way of, of doing life and, and don't like choose against sin to, to say avoid worldliness is another way of saying choose God's way of doing life and avoid sin. Um, and so is it that it means exclusively that and therefore it doesn't mean um, don't do things that the world does. If you get that distinction, like it could, it could mean that you do some things, but it shouldn't mean that um, merely don't be like the world or don't love the world or things like that merely means don't do things the same way as the world. Right. Because in some cases it will mean that. Sure. But it's, and I think that's the thing where is, is our avoidance of worldliness an end in itself or is it something that's, that's stemmed from our, our understanding of what we are trying to be? And I think once we have that in perspective, then, then, then it becomes more clear what we shouldn't be like. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't see, is there a time when there's a reason to not be like something just for the sake of not being like it? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think so. So I heard uh, a venerable old man that I really appreciate uh, say at one point to me, or to a group of people at least, I think it's good that we as Anabaptists um, set arbitrary lines of, of showing that we're different from the world. So he didn't say exactly those words, but basically I think it's good that we have some separation from the world. And he was referring to clothes. Mm-hmm. And I, I've weighed that and I've thought about it and I, I really don't think I agree with that. Um, it's good. That's not to say it's it's a bad thing that we're different, even externally, because I think we should be different externally right. um, in some ways. But the idea that arbitrary lines mm-hmm. where, you know, again, just to use a silly example that no one actually goes for, but but it's 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 along the same lines of things. Putting your shoes on the wrong feet because then you're different from your neighbor would be a way to set yourself apart. Uh-huh. And and yet, and I feel like some of the things that we do do exactly that. They set us right. apart in an arbitrary way, but yeah. it has nothing to do with our convictions. Right. And I just don't feel like that way of looking at staying away from worldliness is appropriate at all. And and perhaps even really clouds the waters of determining what is worldly and what's not. Well, I'm struggling to, to think about, so what is, what's the motivation for saying things like that? Because I think they're often well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what's a, what do you think it's ultimately driving at? What is, what is causing people to, to see separation as an, as an end in itself as something positive? Well, I think one of the things is people feel like if I look different and I'm walking through the supermarket and I wear, um, you know, something that's distinctly Anabaptist, or let's just say, you know, as a guy, I wear a button-up shirt, which obviously not all Anabaptists do, but let's let's just say that's one of those things where um, I wear a button-up shirt to to Walmart and most of the other people around me are are wearing Mm t-shirts, okay? So 
the thought there is if I'm wearing something different, that's a reminder that I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm in a different kingdom. I do things differently. And somehow the, um, the outward distinction between yourself and worldly people uh, will then remind you of your Christian values. I think there's some sort of argument there. Well, I would, was quite blessed Elijah to see you today. Um, Elijah's wearing a button-down shirt. <laughs> That's right. It was a good reminder to me of how serious he is about his faith. And made me feel guilty because I am not wearing a button-down shirt. No, but I, I, seriously, I think the, the reason that's silly is that who who thinks those things when they see that? Uh, you mean The people that have decided to draw the arbitrary line. Right. Those are the only people that would see you in this. I mean, some people might see someone in the supermarket and think, oh, they're, they're different. I mean, you don't look. You're buttoned down. You have a nice button-down shirt. No one would think anything odd if you walked in the supermarket. Um, but there are some distinctive Anabaptists well, sure. dressing like cape dresses or sure, exactly. uh, cap veilings or whatever um, that would be a little bit more like that. I, I personally prefer to dress up fairly well most of the time. Um, not not for religious reasons, but just because I, I like to I like to look nice. I'm, I'm a teacher, so I'm often teaching students and going to school, so I, I, I kind of like having a little more of a dressed up look. But I mean, again, like that, that shouldn't be viewed as part of um, part of our Christianity. And it certainly isn't something um, where if someone sees us dressed like that, they're going to think, oh, this is a sign. They might think, oh, I wonder if that person is Amish or Mennonite. But they're not going to think, oh, I can, I can sure see this as someone that takes the commands of Jesus seriously. They're not even mm-hmm. going to think through it on that level. Right. It's almost turned into a kind of virtue signaling amongst conservative groups. Totally. And I think the value of that is limited. And an identity thing, too, I think. To, to say, in other words, it's not so much about Christ as it is, this is a way to show myself and to show others that I'm a part of a very specific subgroup of Christianity. Right. Um, and that, that, yeah, it's totally virtue, virtue signaling. I, I want to I just go at this a little bit more because I, I, I feel like this is, the, this is the, the brand of this that really needs to be dealt with. The, the concept that by being distinctive, um, not only following biblical commands, because again, I think there are biblical commands in dress that will cause us to dress differently than at least some of the people around us. Right. That's for sure. And there's no getting around that. I'm not out here just saying that there are no principles of modesty because there are. Yeah. Um, but for its own sake, just trying to be different, you know, wearing a different kind of shirt or pants than people around, not for the sake of modesty, but just to make a statement. Um, The idea that someone's going to see that and say, these are people set apart for God. I am now attracted to them because I see they're different. I want to be like them and I am convicted by the life that they lead. That's non-existent. Yeah. It just isn't a thing. But is that really the argument? Because I wonder how much the argument is actually... Other people are going to see and, and want to love God more like this is going to be a reminder of the, the group you're a part of. Mm-hmm. I think there's that. I've certainly heard the argument made kind of like if we are, you know, we, we kind of by just being who we are as mm-hmm. conservative Anabaptists, we kind of give a naturally exude a light that other people are going to notice yeah. and want to join us. For the record, check on how that's working. I mean, I think we can, yeah, yeah I think it's pretty clear. Um, but yeah, 
expand a little. I'm, I'm wanting to make sure I'm following like what what you're offering is kind of what you think is the justification for it. For oh oh for the distinctive um, identity. So I'm not totally clear on this because this isn't my argument, obviously. But I, what I've heard is people saying, "Well, if you dress differently." Um, you dress distinctively, then that distinctiveness is going to keep you from uh, keep you from sin or keep from joining others in, in, in you know ungodliness. Whereas if you look just like your unbelieving neighbors, then hey, maybe you're gonna you know get into sin uh, doing stuff with them that you shouldn't or whatever. I think it's something more along those lines of like mm-hmm. you need to be reminded of your identity, so dress arbitrarily. You do need to be, you do need to be reminded of your identity. But if dressing in an odd way is the way you're going to remember that, I feel like you're not very in touch with what puts at the core of your identity. Yeah. And yeah. I honestly think that's something we do. We can't, we, the takeaway from this discussion is not, oh, we don't need to be worried about being worldly is anything goes now at all. Mm, um, yeah. I think it's more that... It's the opposite. Right. And we haven't been honest enough about how tempted we are to be worldly and how systemic in our hearts as fallen humans this is. Mm. And... It's not that it's not that as Anabaptists we have a tendency to take it too seriously, but that we don't take it seriously enough. Exactly. Like if this is really something we could fix by just mandating certain things about cars and clothes, then it's really not that serious of an issue. But I, our our situation as fallen people is, is is so much deeper and more profoundly unsettling than that. Mm, yeah. And I think we're we're failing to see that, failing to take into account how radically we actually need to be transformed and how the gospel is actually meant to. To change our lives. Yeah. So if we really get a hold of why worldliness is such a problem from from a scripture mm-hmm. from a scriptural standpoint, where it says, "Don't be like, don't love the world because um, the love of the Father is not in the one who who loves the world," mm-hmm. and saying, "You know, the world's going to pass away, but God's word is not going to pass away." Right. And so that's why. Um, we should follow after God and learn to love God in this life. So if we're getting the picture of the point of why worldliness is bad, that is because it takes us away from truly loving God and having God's love in us, mm. then I, I think we're going to be repenting every day oh, for yes. all sorts of worldliness in, in a positive, enriching way that is making us more like the Father. Right. Um, rather than, again, as we've been saying, cheapening what worldliness really is and turning it into something that's really not all that bad. It's like, well, maybe I didn't, maybe I got a dress that was just a little bit too tight or maybe right. my shirt is, um, you know, doesn't have enough buttons or whatever. And it really doesn't mean, um, it doesn't really get to the depth at all of scripturally why mm-hmm. worldliness is so wrong and so dangerous. Right. And so really what we're trying to do in this, in these couple of podcasts is, is look at worldliness in a clearer way and get to the point where we can um, love God more deeply mm-hmm. and recognize the sin in our lives more fully. For sure. Maybe just a word of caution as we wrap up here. Um, it's very easy um, to look at our churches and to see things that we wish to be different. And I think especially as young people, there's a kind of energy that comes simply from, from recognizing how flawed people are around us, maybe maybe even when we feel like some of the structures around us are flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, the takeaway from this is not, it's so utterly absurd that people are misdiagnosing worldliness, uh-huh. but rather that 
we need to look at our own lives and see ways in which we are following after the world mm. in the biblical sense and where we are failing to allow the truth and beauty of Scripture and a transformed life where we love each other deeply as brothers and sisters and allow our actions to be um, truly following the example and pattern of Jesus. That's really where our focus needs to be. Yeah. And so I just encourage anyone that is in any situation where they're, they're struggling with you know, what, what seems to be and likely is arbitrary um, things pushed as, as a way to avoid worldliness and they aren't seeing an actual true example of, of Christ, be that person yourself. Mm. And you're not going to be that person by calling by simply calling out worldliness, whether it's false worldliness or or true worldliness. We ultimately um, we need to be about what we are, not about not about what we aren't. And I think that applies across the board to everyone. That's good. Yeah. So take the time, think about it. How does worldliness affect you as a person? Vernon uh, and I, Vernon and I just. A week ago or something, we're talking about what worldliness means, and we had to sit back and think about, you know, worldliness really does affect us. Looking at self wrong, looking at looking at uh, pleasure in a wrong way, turning pleasure into something merely for our own enjoyment instead of pleasure as a way to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. Looking at um, possessions wrongly, um, recognizing ways in, in our lives where um, possessions has become too big of a thing and where instead of being a possibility to worship God in the beauty of life, instead it just becomes a thing mm-hmm. in itself. And those are ways I think in which each one of us needs to honestly ask um, where are there ways in which I've adopted the world's way mm-hmm. of thinking? Um, have I loved the world by by taking on those wrong ways of looking mm-hmm. at self and possessions? So think about that this week and I think it would be good for all of us to question, is there worldliness within us? For sure.